What's it gonna take for you to finally break up with your bullshit? Think what you could do if you could only break up with your bullshit. Oh. Hey, what's up? My name is Michelle Aiken, and welcome to Break Up With Your Bullshit, a podcast where I bring on amazing creative people that I've met over the years who have broken up with a lot of bullshit. And I've, I've met them largely because I've been a coach working with creative people one-on-one for the past nine years. So I've met a lot of really interesting people and uh, mostly found out that everyone has the same shit and the same bullshit um, that gets in their way. And uh, and really what separates us is our ability to break up with it and let it go and get our stuff out into the world anyway. And so I hope that this inspires you to do that and, uh, and gives you some new ideas. Before I give my intro for this guest today, I want to say that this morning I found out that my Break Up With Your Bullshit live digital event is almost sold out. I'm so excited. <laughs> so I'm so surprised. I guess I shouldn't be, but I am. Because, um, you know, you put these things out, you don't really know how people are going to respond to them or who's going to want to you know, be on a Zoom call all day. Uh, in my head, I was like, this sounds like torture for people, but apparently not. Lots of people want to come and hang out on a Zoom call with cool guest speakers and do some work around breaking up with their bullshit and really having it be a line in the sand. For, for them, for, for like from this day forward, I am going to work on my creative project, whatever it is really. There's people, there's people coming to the event that are working on a book or something kind of like a, a, what you think of when you think of creative. And then there's other people who just want to move something forward in their life and they're stuck in some way and, and they like, the, like this particular venue for it. So uh, it's not limited to artists, but it's going to be a lot of artists and, uh, and really amazing people who have been connecting with each other. A lot of them already know each other because I started this event back in November as a free email challenge that people just signed up for and they got emails in their inbox and I decided to up the stakes and have it be an actual thing where we get together and, and talk some stuff out and work together on the issues but people have been connecting through our private Facebook group, which you can apply to be in. There's some, there's a few cute questions if you want to be in the in the Facebook group, and that's all on the link on my Instagram. But yeah, if you want to be at that live event with us, get your ticket today because they're going quick, and um, we're also having raffles every Friday. So if you're our current ticket holder, you get entered into the raffle. And, um, and since I know this is going up on the 25th, I will say that this coming Friday, the 29th, we're also having a Zoom gathering, a, a gathering of the boops, all the people in the Break Up With Your Bullshit Facebook group on Zoom, everyone who's available anyway at 4 p.m. Eastern. And that's also in the link in my Instagram bio. That's free. We've just been talking on the Facebook group a lot. And it made me think, I just want people to be in a Zoom room together and I don't want to wait until February 20th, the live event, to do it so I can do whatever I want. And so we're going to do that on Friday. And all are welcome. You don't have to have a ticket in order to attend that. But if you do have a ticket and you attend, we're also having a live raffle. So that's going to be really fun. Okay, I think those are all my announcements. And I'm very excited about this episode uh, my guest today is Suleika Jawad, who is a former client of mine and an incredible writer, an incredible human being. I, I don't even need to tell her story. She tells it right at the beginning, so you can get it, the gist of who she is. But I will say there were some very impactful for me moments of awareness during this conversation. 
I realize that there's a book I need to write uh, and then I can start working on it. And I kind of, I broke up with some of my own bullshit in the course of the conversation. And she also just drops so many truth bombs, little wisdom, wisdom bombs for people who want to work on it, whether it's writing or not. She gives writing tips, but I, I found them all applicable to music as she was saying them. So I feel like they're just going to be universal and really, really useful to you. She has a book coming out February 9th called Between Two Kingdoms, and we are going to do a Boop book club reading it together. So uh, so check out her book, and I uh, hope you enjoy this interview with Suleika. Break up with your bullshit. Oh. Hi, Suleika. Hi. Yeah. I'm so excited that you're here. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, my pleasure. It's been such a long time since we've actually spoken. It has been a long time and the world has changed dramatically. We Quite have changed bit. dramatically, I'm yes. sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's see, how do you usually introduce yourself to people? You're, you're a lot of things. God, this is always the hardest question. Mm. Um, who am I? I don't know. Um, <laughs> that's why I worked with you <laughs> all those years ago. Uh, I'm a writer. I um, am a speaker. I founded this uh, global creativity community called the Isolation Journals. Which is amazing. And my most recent baby and that you contributed a beautiful prompt to. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm working on my own podcast, me and every other human in the world. Um, <laughs> Yours. What, sorry, what was that? What is it? Uh, our working title for it is called The Reckoning. And we're just uh, putting together two pilot episodes now. But it's about um, moments of reckoning. And I've been interviewing all kinds of fascinating people dealing with, you know, really difficult reckonings and dealing with weird reckonings and happy ones. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, reckonings and, and moments of big transition have been something I've been interested in, uh, both in terms of my reported work, but uh, it's also kind of the story I've been navigating in my own life for the last right. decade. Of course. That makes total sense. I mean, whatever anyone's podcast is, I feel like is always directly related to what they're up to or what they've been through. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it makes no sense. It's it, like it always makes that's why I'm like, what is it about? Because of course, it's going to be that. Totally. Well, you know, and like people often say, write what you know, um, but I find that in my work and in my interests, I'm, I get fascinated by, by what I don't know and what questions I'm trying to answer. And that ends up being the sort of North Star that, that kind of guides whatever it is that I'm doing. Right, right. Well, that's amazing. I can't wait for it. And you're, I'm sure you have some incredible guests coming up on that. So people should watch for that. Do you have like a launch date? No launch date. Okay. Let me know when you do, because I'm sure all my, my folks who listen to this are going to want to find out about that. It's right I will keep you posted. Yay. Um, so I usually start with talking about how we met. Hmm. Um, so we met, I believe it was in 2015, 2016, possibly. It was because um, I was pregnant shortly after. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was just fresh out of um, about 
four years of cancer treatment. And um, obviously, you know, remission was something that I'd been working towards pretty much for the better half of my 20s. Um, But when I got to that point of being cancer-free, instead of feeling relief and joy, I honestly had never felt more lost. Um, I wasn't a patient anymore. Uh, I knew I couldn't go back to being the person that I'd been pre-diagnosis, nor did I want to. Um, But I had no idea who I was or how to find my footing in the world and what I was going to do next. Um, So we met through Gavin Robertson, the late Gavin Robertson, who's, you know, was such a incredible force in the cancer community and um, created a nonprofit that paired young people dealing with cancer and its aftermath with life coaches. And I had the very good fortune of um, getting to work with you. Yeah, that was an, I remember the day that, um, that he reached out to me to let me know that someone had picked me because I had been listed on the website, you know, for a while. And, uh, and, and I, I clicked on your name and I looked at like your story and who you are. And I just remember sitting, I was like, on the bed in my Brooklyn apartment and I just went, this is a big deal. This is going to be like a big deal person for me. And, um, and you were like, <laughs> I don't know that I had had a lot of, um, clients up to that point, lots of different clients, but, uh, it was so, it just felt so important to be talking to you at that point. Totally. Yeah. Well, and I think it felt like a big deal to me. It also felt kind of scary. I'd never, I didn't know anything about life coaching. I never really consistently uh, worked with anyone in any kind of therapeutic setting. Um, but I remember when you were explaining to me what life coaching is, um, being really taken by um, how you described it as this kind of like forward looking practice. Um, where it's less about, you know, like rehashing your childhood. Um, and it can be that too, but about, um, actually, you know, getting clarity on what you want and, and how to get there and perhaps like what's getting in the way uh, of you getting there. And so that was very much what I needed in that moment was, Um, the encouragement even to kind of allow myself to dream because, you know, the future had been a really scary place when you're sick and mortality hangs in the balance. You learn not to think too far ahead because you don't know if you're going to get to exist in that future. Mm -hmm. Um, So even just that, that first um, couple of sessions where you were asking me like, what do you want in six months or in a year? Um, felt so challenging and so necessary. Yeah, thanks for saying that. It is challenging. It's it's the simplest question, what do you want? But one of the hardest to answer, whether you're sick and recovering or not. It's it's just Totally. We don't know that. I I <laughs> we don't we don't know how to how to say or we've learned something growing up about how you're not supposed to want or mm-hmm. I don't know, something that just disconnects us from that experience of really letting ourselves want something. Yeah. I mean, I think also to know what you want 
requires you to have some knowledge about who you are. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, like you said, I mean, we're taught, especially as women, not to want too much or too big or um, to kind of stay in our lanes. And it's scary uh, to dream in the privacy of a journal, let alone to kind of utter those dreams out loud to someone else. Um, yeah. Yeah, it is. And it, it also has a, a catalyzing effect when you do, you know, um, people ask me how coaching works and I, I don't really have an answer to it because for me, it felt like magic. Hmm. I even said to my coach, I was like, what are you doing to me on these? <laughs> so you're, you're witchcraft. You're doing, you're doing something to me. And I, and she's like, you know, she just laughed and suggested that I take some training and get, because I wanted to be a coach when I hired one. Uh, and I was like, I talk to you and then I go like make a lot of money or just take action on things that I've been procrastinating for months. How, how are you doing that? What's happening? <laughs> I, I, was, really? I was curious enough that I, I signed up for a coach training program because of that, because <laughs> I was so frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it does feel like a, a kind of magic. Um, and I think it feels like a real privilege, especially when you're kind of raw in grief or raw in whatever it is that you might be feeling to have someone kind of guide you from that place of like no longer to not yet. Yeah. No longer to not yet. Huh. I like that. (laughs) That's some poetry. (laughs) I'm feeling very poetic. It's a Sunday. (laughs) I've had a good night's sleep. (laughs) Yeah, you just made me remember, actually. I, I took it on when I was going through a reckoning that I was losing my mom. Yeah. Right. Like the day that the coach reached out to me was the day she went into hospice. Yeah. I was just so ready to do something about my life uh, other than dye my hair a crazy color, which I did later. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Well, you know, and I think the thing about those moments when you, like something is like, brought you to the floor um, can feel so lonely. It can feel like you're living this like private, terrible experience. It can feel terrifying, but it's also, um, at least in my own life, like those moments have been, and how I've kind of responded to those moments have been so pivotal. Um, Yeah. I agree. I mean, great time to make a really big life decision and completely change careers and, you know, gave up all my video production clients to my assistant and just became a life coach overnight. (laughs) Totally. I mean, I joined a training program, so I had training wheels for that period of time. But uh, yeah, that was, uh, (laughs) I, I like making those big risky moves though. I feel like it brings out the best in us. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I think there's also something really clarifying when you're in a moment of reckoning like that. Um, And like you said, you know, it's hard 
always to know what you want, but at least for me in those moments, it's very clear what's not working Yes. or what aspects of like my own behavior are no longer working. Yes. Um, and so that's always the starting point for me. It is for a lot of people. I think uh, a common theme I notice among people I talk to is that they have a hard time saying what they want and they're very oriented toward what they don't want and what hasn't worked in the past, which is not a bad thing. It's just we kind of have to use it to then figure out what that means about the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like information that you have to kind of excavate for uh, like an action plan of some sorts. Yeah, and then and then you have to like, you have to change it because it can't just be the opposite. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can, but if you do the opposite, you're still in a reaction to the past mm-hmm. versus creating the future. Like a, a painter doesn't look at a canvas and say, what's wrong with this canvas? What can I fix about it? Right. <laughs> but right. we our lives like that. We're like, what's wrong with this? What should I fix? What should I change? And it's like, what if you had a blank one and you could just pick anything? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, but it's, you know, as someone who loves to make big risky moves, um, I think that time for me was also, um, an education and not imploding every aspect of my life because, you know, as someone, I grew up all over the place. I, my dad's North African, my mom is Swiss, I, you know, had gone to like six different schools on three different continents by the time I was eight. Like I was very good at packing up my life and starting over, Um, you know, but by the time we met, I think I was probably around 27. I also understood that you can like change your zip code. The street signs might be in a different language, but some of that stuff that you're maybe trying to move forward from is going to linger. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, a really kind of crucial lesson that I learned that year was the difference between like moving forward and moving on. Um, And I realized I couldn't move on from whatever it was that I was trying to leave behind, but I could move forward with it. Um, That's like, that's a mind blowing distinction. Hmm. So you're saying, so make the distinction again, just between what moving forward is and what moving on is. Yeah. So for me, moving on is like, it kind of implies that you can leave something behind, whether it's your past or it's a heartbreak or it's grief. Um, And in my experience, um, I never fully move on from anything, even when I change my geographical location or, you know, I make big risky moves. Um, But the work for me over the last few years is like moving forward with all of those things. Yeah. That, you know, you, yeah. In the same way that you can't like dodge pain or numb pain, um, you can learn to kind of coexist with it. That's so key. That's so important. I feel like that's a little permission slip for anyone listening who's trying to put something behind or trying to leave something that just keeps seeming to follow them. And maybe it's like, that's okay. You can follow me. I'm expecting you to show up. Mm -hmm. Here's what I'm going to do when you do show up, 
versus I hope this never shows up again. Cause now we're, then we're running. Yeah. 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 We're, we're running and we're like, um, living in a kind of disassociated way. Yeah. Um, where we're not, you know, like a fully integrated person. Um, that's able to sort of like mesh the past with the present and hopefully some sort of like forward moving momentum that's propelling you towards the future. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for that. Um, this is cool because sometimes I'm on the phone with my clients and, and we come to really cool distinctions and then I'm like, oh, I can't record this. It's coming <laughs> <laughs> conversation so it's not just like in my notebook where I keep notes of everything brilliant all my clients say um this is- for the record I have many notebooks full of brilliant things that you've said <laughs> um I appreciate that speaking of of um your writing though you were so I would love to talk about where you were at with your book when we were speaking and then you know the process to completion and and all that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, God, I'm trying to, to sort of figure out the timeline in my mind, because like, what even is time anymore in a pandemic? Um, I think I met you, did I meet you after my road trip or before? I think it was after. Yeah. I think, I think it was after. Yes. Yeah. So when we met, um, let me back up in the aftermath of my treatment, I spent a very difficult year feeling incredibly stuck and not, you know, knowing really how to find my path forward. And so what I decided to do was to learn how to drive. And I went on a 10,000 mile road trip around the United States for about three months. And I visited some of the strangers who had been writing me letters in response to my New York Times column, Life Interrupted, uh, that, yeah, I'd been working on while I was in the hospital. I also visited people I'd met during treatment who had had um, an impact on me. Um, And when I came home from that road trip, I didn't necessarily feel fully well or like healthy or back to myself. Um, but I knew what my next step was going to be. Um, and I learned so much from these people that I'd met on the road. Um, and I started working on a book. Um, and that book between two kingdoms is coming out in a terrifyingly, um, yeah, it's coming out terrifyingly soon on February 9th. Um, February 9th, pre yeah. <laughs> God, it's so scary and so exciting. But um, we met, I think I was a couple months into writing that book. Um, and I was really struggling to work on it because like a lot of writers, I had a very detailed outline and a very detailed idea of what book it was that I was going to write. And inevitably, as is pretty much always the case, the book I thought I was going to write was not the book I ended up actually writing. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I vaguely remember the different struggles and uh, 
I was always very grateful that my job was not to advise you on writing. <laughs> coach you around like your intention and what's coming up and the fear and the stuff. Cause I was like, I don't really know what to do about where you're stuck, but <laughs> we can, we can like discover answers together, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and this is my first book. I think, you know, I talked to friends of mine who've written six or seven books and it's always hard. And I think if you're, you're really, you know, pushing yourself to do it the right way. Um, you become a different writer with each book and you have to learn a different way of writing with each new project. Um, but for a first time author, that feeling of like, I don't really know what I'm doing or I don't really know where I'm going with this can feel extra scary. Um, because all the kind of imposter stuff, uh, starts to, starts to creep in and you don't have evidence yet of like a track record in which you've actually written a book and seen it through to the end and been through that process. Um, so I was so full of angst when I was working on that book. I haven't felt that angsty since I was 16 years old. Um, (laughs) but it was such an interesting process. And, you know, because, uh, it's a memoir, I, had to um, really kind of undergo this process of self-examination and self-interrogation. And I had a post-it note above my desk that said, if you want to write a good book, write what you don't want others to know about you. If you want to write a great book, write what you don't want to know about yourself. Um, and to me, you know, with, with any project um, that I'm undertaking, because I pour all of myself into my writing, it's, it's not my work, it's, it's my, you know, it's my life, it's, it's my, it's what I love to do. Um, and it doesn't feel worth doing unless I'm really kind of seeking out not just the truth, but like the truth beneath the truth, beneath the truth. Um, Yeah. I I feel like people can feel when they're reading someone's soul versus their brain. Yeah. Yeah. Or like uh, a bunch of like bumper sticker platitudes (laughs) or things that we've heard a million times. Yeah. You can, you can feel when someone has really done that work of excavation, whether it's fiction or it's memoir, um, whether you like the kind of style in which it's written or you don't, um, that kind of unvarnished honesty um, not only is so powerful, um, but it can feel like such a gift as a reader. Like when you read something on the page that, makes you feel understood or even better, like makes you think, oh, I didn't know you were allowed to say that. Or I didn't know somebody else felt this way too. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's, it's similar with music. Yeah. You can feel it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a reverberation that happens. And actually reverberation is one of my favorite words because, you know, I think when someone writes the unvarnished truth um can be contagious um and 
you know, especially when you're writing memoir and you're writing in the first person, when you're writing um, from that, that really, you know, deep soul place, um, the I very quickly becomes a you and a we. Mm. Um, and I, yeah, that's always my, um, that's my measure of, of success and writing is like, can I tell this story in a way that reverberates beyond my own life? Yeah. And can you say something that has someone see themselves for the first time, maybe through you? Yeah. And I think the only way to do that is to, to see that thing in yourself for the first time. That's true. That's true. Cause you could just, okay. I have a really good example of this. <laughs> I know you're friends with Elizabeth Gilbert uh, and she's one of the only author's memoirs that I've read because Eat, Pray, Love was you know, so ubiquitous. And, um, but when I read the, there's a part in the beginning when she's like, if I love you, you can have my ass, you can have my dog's ass, you can have my, <laughs> and I, that was when I realized how codependent I was. Totally. I just sobbed reading. I'm like, I'm reading these paragraphs, sobbing. I'm like, oh my God, this is me. And I, um, <laughs> very idealistically tried to give this book to my grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, 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 where the codependence came from all down the line. Right. Yeah. Um, and I give it to her. Uh, and the next time I see her, she's like, oh, shell. She called me shell. Uh, let me get, uh, hold on. And she goes into her room and she comes up with the book and she goes, I'm going to give this back to you. And I was like, oh, did you read it? She goes, well, you know, I was reading it and then the lady said she wanted a divorce. And I thought, so she's kind of a kook. And, and uh, so I <laughs> Uh, I love that. I love that. <laughs> My grandma never, never pulled a punch. Never, like down to the day that uh, my grandfather's funeral, and someone would come talk to her, and she's like, "She's gotten fat." Like she was, oh my god, <laughs> external. She couldn't keep it to herself. But I love that. I aspire to be her when I'm older. Just no filter. Yeah. Everything's everything's gonna get said. <laughs> I like. I notice when I see characters in movies and stuff who do that. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah. But you. But the author had time to write your lines, and like, so you know. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so, because don't we all want to like be able to say the words just as we would if we had time to write them down? Yeah. 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 Be that polish. Um. Oh, I wanted to also talk about, you did this video. By the way, did you know Elizabeth Gilbert when we were working together or you meet her after that? No, I met her um, about a year ago at a dinner, very briefly. And um, yeah, when I moved um, to rural New Jersey, where I am now, uh, we actually live very close to each other. And we became corn pod buddies and have had a sanity saving ritual that we do every day which is an hour of this breathing meditation and then we strip off our clothes and jump in the buff in the nearby swimming hole uh, like much to the horror of the people who live nearby <laughs> <laughs> I did see a picture of this <laughs> 
Yeah, I saw your little heads popping out of the water. I was like, where are you? What is that? <laughs> That's amazing to have that kind of ritual. Only Elizabeth Gilbert could get me to jump in freezing water naked every single day. <laughs> That's cool. Um, that's so cool, though. Um, you did this video with her where she talked about losing your creative boner. Oh, yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. That's the best, because doesn't it happen? I feel like any, any project um, that I've ever started, at some point, you sit down to it, and it just don't feel it anymore. Yeah, or it gets hard and you want to get a divorce yeah. from your project or you start like eyeing other like sexy new project ideas. Um, yeah, you know, and one thing that Liz said in that conversation was um, that if you are on record as someone who has finished projects, then if you feel like quitting your project, quit your project. But if you are on record as someone who's constantly starting products and never finishing them, then you are not allowed to get a divorce from your project. You're not allowed to have an affair with like a sexy new side mistress idea. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Uh, cause I like it. Cause uh, especially cause there's so much advice out in the world and, and you can't just take it. Like you have to see if it applies to you and if it, and in, in this sense, like, does that apply to me? Can I just quit? Oh, wait. And actually looking at who have I been about this before and who do I want to be about it in the future? Mm -hmm. Do I want to keep being a cheater? Do I want to keep being a quitter? Well, and also kind of interrogating what that feeling of wanting to quit is. Like there have been times for me, many points in the book where what I was feeling was a need for space. And that was probably the best thing that I could have done in writing the book was just to like set a chapter down and maybe work, skip ahead and work on something else or work on something totally different or spend a week reading. And, you know, inevitably during that time reading, I'd come up with the idea or the solution I needed or just going for a walk. I'm always like when I'm you know, especially like trying to revise something or figure out a structure, I'll go for a walk and I won't even be thinking about it. And something about, you know, moving my body will loosen the kind of knots in my brain. And then I immediately know what it is that I need to do. So there's that kind of like impulse to quit where you're feeling like you need to stop. And um, maybe that is actually what you need um, as long as you have a plan to get back to it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And then there have been other times where I want to quit because I'm afraid, mm -hmm. because I'm afraid of what I'm writing, or I'm afraid it's going to be a terrible book, or I'm afraid that someone that I'm writing about is going to be upset about it. And like fear is, is not for me um, a reason to quit. It's usually an indication that I need to like probe and go deeper into it. I think about that thing about other people, people I'm writing about, reading it and getting upset and use that as a reason not to write stuff. Mm -hmm. um, when you said the thing earlier about don't not, it's not write what you know or the write what you don't want to know about you. Mm -hmm. I, can think of, I can think of that book. I like, I just had an image of it now and I'm like, oh. but it, it would involve so many other people's stories that I, I'm like, mm, I can't write that book. 
but that doesn't mean I can't write the book. Yeah. Well, and what I always tell people is like, there's the draft that you write for yourself. And then there's the draft that you show to your first reader. And then the one you show to an agent or an editor or whatever it may be. And, but in that first draft, you get to write whatever you want. In fact, you should. Mm -hmm. Um, And during the time I was working on the book, um, my friend, Melissa was my accountability buddy. And so I would, you know, we had calendar notifications and I would send her a chapter um, or whatever every couple of weeks. Um, and I got to this point in the book where I had written 60 pages that I was very worried would be upsetting to someone I love. And she gave me great advice and she said, don't worry about it. You can decide, you know, what you want to do about it. If you're going to keep it in, you have to tell this person, but keep writing. And so I kept writing and I got to the end of the book and my deadline was looming. She called me and she said, have you shown those 60 pages or talked about what's in them with the person you're worried about hurting? And I said, no. And she said, do you think that you can? And I said, no, I don't think I can talk to them about this or show it to them. And she was like, cool, cut the 60 pages. And I cut the 60 pages and I sent it off and nobody ever noticed. Um, But what was so important about that experience and, and what I've learned from it is that sometimes you need to write something in order to get to the next yeah. part. And you can worry later about what you keep in or how you phrase something and you can navigate that after, but, you, but in that first draft, you really just need to write your way through it. I love that. Um, I'm going to take that advice because um, I've been writing fiction for a few years now and I think I'm wanting to get back into nonfiction, which is where I lived for the longest time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've been writing fan fiction. I love that. I love that. <laughs> it's so much fun. <laughs> a lot of, I had a lot of, I talk about this all the time on the podcast. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I had a whole bunch of stories that I had started and not finished. Mm-hmm. Posted most of it online because there's all these websites and you just, every time you finish a chapter, you just put it up. And people don't care if there's typos and it's a very free community and everyone just, they just love the story and they, they leave comments. And so your, your writing is very alive. I love that. That's, that's like the best kind of exposure therapy for anyone who's afraid of showing their writing to other people. 100%. I, I, I'm a huge advocate of, and it's not all smut. Some of it is. (laughs) I'm sure it's great. And I get to play different genres and all that, you know? So I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, I think a big part of it too is just like keeping those other voices at bay, whether it's like a very specific voice, like your father-in-law or your ex-boyfriend or whatever it might be. Um, And so like, I've had to find ways to kind of trick my brain um, out of like worrying about all that noise. Um, sometimes when I start a chapter, I'll write a pseudonym at the top of the page. And I just like tell myself that if I wanted to, I could publish this, not as me. And of course I won't. Um, but just that, you know, that little ritual, uh, before I sit down to write helps free 
me. I'll put noise canceling headphones on without any music just so I can kind of block out the yeah. noise of the outside world. I mean, yeah. I know it goes on, but yeah, you have to kind of name whatever fears are are popping up or whatever voices are popping up and and find creative ways to engage with them. Yeah, to keep them to not back to the moving on, moving forward thing. It's yeah aren't going to go away. Right. Anything, they get louder. Totally. Because <laughs> then you have examples. People totally. You. And now it's like, oh, that person's going to say this again. But I really do. Sometimes I'll notice in the middle of us, uh, even when I'm performing, if I'm singing, yeah. I'll start to hear an imagined person saying something about the way I'm singing. Mm-hmm. I forget the words. Mm-hmm. Or I hit a wrong note because I'm, I'm too in my head and I have to like do something to stop that from happening and to be like, I have to connect the song to something that has really happened to me and just think about that instead of thinking about the Instagram comment section. Totally. I mean, yeah. When I'm doing any sort of public speaking, I pick three faces, one to the right, one in the middle, one to the left, usually like a very friendly looking uh, middle-aged woman who could be my mom who's smiling at me. And those are the people I look at. And similarly, when I'm writing, sometimes I'll actually put a photo of a friend or a couple of friends who I know, like, believe in what I'm writing and who are the friends I go to for reassurance and for advice and for pep talks. And those are the faces and the voices that I focus on. I am so going to print out photos. (sighs) Of my friends that I send my music to. Because <laughs> it doesn't have to be your friend. It could be, I don't know, Michelle Obama or whoever it is that, yeah. Maybe I'll throw her in the mix. <laughs> she's pretty, she's pretty, uh, she, 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 yeah. Whatever. <laughs> I don't have any words. It's amazing. <laughs> um, let me ask you this. So I noticed with, with things that I've written that I have a particular relationship to them, like, I'm either proud or I kind of don't even want to look at it or I like really love it. And I think that changes and evolves over time. But from where you are right now, when you think about your book, how do you feel about it? Mm, That's such a good question. I am someone who historically like doesn't really feel a sense of accomplishment. Like it makes me very happy to get notes from people who have read the work and who have found it. Um, interesting or impactful, but I'm always kind of on to the next thing. And the interesting um, thing about writing a book is there's a long time that um, passes between when you actually finish it and when it comes out in the world. Um, And so I've really loved uh, the last six months where, you know, I've been making small tweaks here and there, but the book has been mostly done and it's given me both like the space to forget about all the difficult, uh, you know, frustrating moments of writing it. Um, And it's allowed me to kind of form a new relationship with that book. And very recently I spent five days recording my audio book and also recording the music for the audio book with my partner, John. Um, And for the first time in my life, I had to read what I had written out loud. Um, And 
I felt, um, you know, I, I worried going into that process that I was going to like regret writing certain things or like wished I'd phrase something differently or like I would be cringing the whole time. And it was so not that experience. Oh, I so felt cool. proud uh, that, I'd, that I'd written the book. I, I recognized as I was reading it that I had poured everything I had into writing it and I had done my very, very best and then some. And I felt so good about that. Um, and I felt so much gratitude to the people who who populate the book's pages. Um, and it really kind of helped me prepare for, for this next step where the book's going to be coming out into the world. Um, yeah, so, you know, that, that space from it was necessary. And then the reading out loud, weirdly enough, was also necessary. Ah, uh, that's so great. I'm so happy for you. That that was the because I I really get the fear of oh I'm not gonna not gonna love it or I'm gonna cringe at it and um, I don't know I I think when you have space from your work and you did put everything into it that is likely what's gonna happen when you go back because you know when you're you when you're in the process of making something it's yeah you're very much like pregnant with that you have no separation from it and in a weird way. Uh, not to like uh, overuse birthing metaphors, but I do feel like I like, you know, with all the labor pains and everything, I, I delivered this baby and now it's going to have its own life out there in the world. It's separate from me. Um, people may like it. People may not like it. I hope they like it. Um, it's still my baby, but even so it's having, uh, you know, it's, it's going to have its own separate life. Yeah. Um, and, and what happens from there really, you know, isn't up to me or any of my business. I'm here to kind of help it and support it. That's about it. Yeah. It's, I was, I talked about this on um, a different episode that I I try to take the same, because I I feel that way about writing. Mm -hmm. You're saying that it's none of your business once it gets out in the world. And um, it's sort of like once your kid goes off to college or out into the world and it's like, but that's not usually how it goes with parents. Yeah. Of course, you still, yeah. Especially <laughs> but, if you have codependent tendencies. Yeah, right. So, I'm really, I'm actually really excited to partner with my husband around holding it that way and really giving her her independence because we're both mm. very independent people. Mm. And um, so, I want I want her to feel that way. And I know it's going to be challenging in ways that I couldn't possibly know now. Yeah, he's going to yeah. want that I don't agree with and and who knows what they will be. And probably all my peers will agree with me by that point. Yeah. People who are saying now, I wish my parents could have just, but it'll be like, but this is different because we're yeah. a generation along and something is different now. Uh, so I really, I want her to have that. And I can already tell she's extremely independent. <laughs> uh, good luck Thanks. when she turn, becomes a teenager. <laughs> It's just going to happen. Like she's four and a half and it's going to be here before we know it for real. Um, Thanks for that. Answering that. That's really cool. uh, Just to think about as it's coming out now. I, I, uh, I haven't, I'm glad you did an audio book. I probably will get that. I, um, I did. I mean, I pre-ordered the book like this second I I could, I don't know how long ago that was a while ago. Um, But 
so I keep getting Amazon updates about when it's coming and I'm like, uh, <laughs> but I might just physically read it. I haven't physically read a book in such a long time. Mm. And if anyone listening in my, my break up with your bullshit community where the, we call each other boops. I love it. it sounds <laughs> like, um, if any of the boops want to do like a commitment to reading a physical book, no screen time thing, I might use it as a way to get off of screens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the reason, I, I mean, I've always loved physical books. I love the smell of them. I like writing in them. I like giving them to people. Um, but the thing I've noticed that makes it all the more sort of necessary is it's like, because you have to hold a book with both hands, it's one of the rare times when you're not also reaching for your phone. Yeah, I can listen to an audiobook and play a game on my phone or look at Instagram, but I'm not fully there then. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can trick myself and say I'm good at multitasking, but, <sighs> you know, yeah, not real. <laughs> <laughs> you need to start a, a boot book club. Mm. Wow, that, that was a tongue twister. A boot book club. Book club. Okay. <laughs> we'll start with your book. Oh. Yeah. That's I'd what we're be honored. I bet a whole bunch of the boops will be like, yeah. Let's start. <laughs> There's a lot of writers in the group and um, some people who are in like finishing stages of a book, some people who haven't never written and are just dipping their toe in for the very first time. So it's, mm. it's a cool assortment of people. So that's exciting. Yay. Yay. Uh, yeah. I haven't been, I haven't been this sure I'm going to read a book in a very long time because you know, people recommend books to you. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I, I haven't had time, like I haven't made time, honestly, just like to sit down with a book, especially because my daughter will um, take whatever's in my hand out of my hand. Right, right, right. I really have to like make time, but I can. I can. I'm going to. <laughs> uh, all right. So I have a few things I ask everyone. Yeah. Uh, Let's do it. Is, you know, the concept of break up with your bullshit I think you understand that, you know, people are on their bullshit. They're, they've got their excuses and their reasons why not. And, um, and obviously you've broken up with a lot of bullshit to get to where you are and all the different things that you accomplish, but what's the bullshit you're still on? Mm. I mean, I feel like I'm always breaking up with different versions of the same bullshit, mm. you know? Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that the biggest thing, what's, what's my bullshit right now? Um, I think it's like saying no to people and being okay if they're unhappy with me or upset with me because of it, because as like the good, you know, codependent girl that I was raised to be like I'm for my joy is in is in bringing the people around me joy and so even when I know I've made a decision that's a necessary one if someone is unhappy with me for whatever reason I immediately sort of start to try to fix it in this kind of panicky way and I'm now trying not to do that but it's hard (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Um, I relate. I'm sure a lot of people listening relate. Like I can be, I can come off as a, like 
being pretty tough or very sure of myself sometimes, but it's a practice, not a natural thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like I can sa- I can be very definitive <clears throat> and not, and people don't tend to react well to boundaries. I had a friend recently asked me if I wanted to take her class and I said, I'm actually classed out. Like I've got so many things I'm doing. And she responded, I love your boundaries. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. oh, thank you. That's so nice to hear instead of, are you sure? You should anyway, which I'm, oh my goodness. Now that sets off all my red flags. Like my haunches go up, you know? Totally. Totally. And I think when you're someone who's either good at setting boundaries or actively trying to, and you see other people do it, like I just feel awe and gratitude. I'm like, thank you for showing me how to do this. Thank you for having to showing me how to say a, a like a kind but firm full stop no in yeah. an email. Yeah, I I feel like it's my art right now. Like, how do I how do totally. I feel good for everybody involved? You, like, and not feel good in the codependent sense, but just like if you can get past the guilt, there is a good reason why not. Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't. You know, you can try to kind of explain it to someone, but if they can't understand it. They can't understand it. That's fine. Yeah. They're just speaking different languages. So, okay. Um, Okay, last thing. Yes. What advice would you give to someone listening to this who is totally on their bullshit right now? Mm, Keep a journal. I am someone who has had a journaling practice on and off since I was seven years old. And... And the times when I've committed to, even if it's just, you know, a couple of sentences every single day, my bullshit shows up on the page and it keeps showing up until I get so bored with it or so annoyed with how often it's showing up that I actually start to think about how I might deal with it differently. But to me, a journal, yeah, is a record. It's hiding place it's a finding place but it's also a pretty good bullshit archive yes and a mirror yeah that's funny I often I think uh, sometimes coaching works just because you if you have to show up and say the same bullshit to the same person every single week for a while you will get sick of it like you'll make it about I used to make it about my coach and be like you must hate me I must mm-hmm. And she's, she's over, just like I am when my clients do that to me. She's like, nope. <laughs> you know, you're just like a younger version of me. I don't know. Right. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> Love you. That's what I'm here for. Uh, but yeah, once you hear that, it's like, oh, maybe not. Maybe I just need to shift something so I can love myself more. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Um, okay. So... Oh, before we go too, um, I wanted to give a little plug to John's new song. Oh my God, it's so good. What is it called? Remind me. I Need You. And it's part of, um, it's a single that just came out. There's an incredible music video um, that is impossible not to like toe tap to and like get up and start dancing around in your kitchen too. Um, But it's part of his album, that's coming out in March called We Are. And I'm not just saying it's good because he's my partner. It's actually, I think, the 2021 anthem 
of joy that we all need right now. Awesome. And that's John Batiste, right? Yeah. John Batiste. You might know from um, Stephen Colbert. What's his title? He's a band leader. Is that his? He's the band leader and musical director. He's the dude in the brightly colored suits and the Jordans um, who's always styling every night. And yeah, he's also just like a musical antidepressant. Mm. That's such a good description. And it's so cool. You know, I'm glad we spent all this time on you. And I like at some point I might ask you to come back so we could talk about being partnered with another creative. Mm. That's a whole thing. We're actually about to do a Valentine's Day event together on that very topic. Oh my goodness. Okay. So maybe we don't have to do it. What, what's the event? Uh, it's going to be part of my uh, virtual book tour, but yeah, we're announcing it soon, but we're, yeah, John was like, you know, if we're going to do an event together, like, let's not make it just some dumb promotional event. Like let's get real. Let's have like a live couples therapy session and talk about like all the difficult things we've navigated over the last six years. So it's going to be juicy. It's going to be, yeah, we're going to get real, but also, um, it's going to be fun. And we might even play some music together at the end. Stop it. I'm so excited for this. I could, uh, uh, go to it or, you know, whatever. Um, is it going to be like on, like, how are you doing it? What's the platform? Um, we're going to partner with a black owned, uh, bookstore in New Orleans, but it'll be online and I'll announce everything on my website. Well, I'll put it up on mine. So my, my peeps can find it. So we got a book, awesome. a Valentine's day event. We got your book coming out between two kingdoms on February 9th and people can order it now. Right. Yep. Reorders are a big deal. Yeah, they're so important for for all authors, especially debut authors, but all the more so now in this pandemic. Absolutely. Where it's hard to do anything the same way, including putting out a book. Yeah, this um it's it's gonna be very interesting to to see. And it seems like it's breeding some creativity. The yeah. uh you know, the con- or the constraint rather is breeding yeah. creativity, which is really cool. So all you and support your local bookstore. Oh yeah, I think you can order online from local bookstores, right? Yep. Okay. Neato. I'll get another copy. Also, <laughs> <laughs> I do a copy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, love. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It was so great to talk to you again. Thank you so much. That was so fun. Yeah, for sure. Break up with your bullshit. Oh.